Hi, this is Rob Cornelis, author of The Sales Game Changer, How to Become the Salesperson People Love. And you're wisely listening to my quest for the best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Rob Cornelis. Rob is on a mission to transform the way salespeople around the world sell. His reputation as the sales coach for sports quickly emerged from the consulting with more than 300 teams, leagues, and entertainment companies. And he has advised executives at over 400 brands within the sports and entertainment field, as well as those in technology, retail, manufacturing, media, and financial services. He hosts the Game Face Execs podcast and has interviewed Meg Whitman, Stephen M. R. Covey, Todd Hoffman, as well as the CEOs of Columbia Sportswear, Cotopedics, and the Houston Texans. Rob has been featured on the Wall Street Journal, LA Times, Fox TV, Sports Business Journal, Fox News, as well as television radio programs, newspapers, and podcasts. Rob lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, and is here to talk about his book, The Sales Game Changer, How to Become the Salesperson People Love. Welcome, Rob. Thanks so much, Bill. I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Rob, so have I. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? Now, I thought you were going to ask me that, so I have thought about that because there's so many people I could pick, but here's one that um, might surprise you, Bill. That is the late and great Johnny Carson. I'm not an entertainer. But I always enjoyed Johnny Carson's show, The Tonight Show, because it didn't matter what kind of guest he'd have on. He always made people feel comfortable. He always made them feel like they're the most important person in the room, just one-on-one, even though they're on national television. When he interviewed people, he seemed to just devote all of his energy to them. I, I didn't know it at the time, especially as a young boy watching that show, but I've realized since he was the master salesperson in doing that. You watched him growing up and he his influence had an impact on what you decided to value and what types of beliefs you had about yourself. Do you remember a time, maybe early in your career, when his example impacted a decision that you made or the way that you approached maybe a prospect, maybe a colleague at work? Does something come to mind that had that Johnny Carson influence? I think that anytime we are interviewing for a job or anytime we're interviewing someone for a job, we are essentially putting them down, having them sit down next to the Johnny Carson desk. And we're really trying to engage with someone very quickly. In show business, they don't have that much time. An interview has to take maybe three to five, seven minutes before they go to commercial. But within that time frame, you've got to be able to see that there's a connection between the two of you. And the audience has to see that as well. They have to sense that. So when I watched him perform so marvelously in this very truncated world of quick television, subconsciously, I thought to myself, when I began to interview people and build my own force with in my company within GameFace. I recognize that, you know what, I need to give them my undivided attention. I can't be going through a rote list of questions. They have to be thoughtful, considerate. They have to be personalized to the individual that I'm speaking with. They have to recognize through my eye contact, through the tone of my voice, that in fact, I'm truly interested in them because if they join my company, if we become partners in this, we're building a family that's sharing a future together. The first person I ever hired at Game Face, when 
I started my company in 1995. Wasn't until a couple of years later, but this is someone that as I visited with that person, I thought, not only is this going to be someone I'm spending eight to 10 hours a day with, his name was Tom, but Tom is also someone whose family I want to really truly understand and get to know because I recognize I'm not just hiring Tom, I'm hiring his family. That's really interesting because you will be spending so much time with the people you hire. And many people who think of interviewing don't think of themselves as selling the company or selling the position, but that's actually true. Your book title says it's a sales game changer. What do you mean by that? How do you mean to change the game of sales? How people think about it, how people use it? What is it that means to you? I really appreciate that question, Bill, because one of the things I want to clear up amongst people who are in the sales field is that with all due respect to others who may have described it this way, I don't see sales as a game because a game implies that there's a winner and a loser. We don't like games that end in ties. So in sales, I don't view it as a game. Rather, it's called the sales game changer because it totally will revolutionize the client-salesperson relationship and how we engage with one another, how we build strong communication ties, how we strengthen a relationship that's mutually beneficial. After 30 years of consulting work in a variety of different industries, as you mentioned at the top of the show, primarily with sports and entertainment, that's where I launched my career. But as I've considered all of the clients that I've had some impact with, I would hope, and I looked at the methodology that I bring to the table through my own experiences, I reflected on what people have said to me time and time again, following even just a little bit of the training that we provide. They have said, this has been a game changer for me. I look at sales differently. I look at my profession differently. I look at people differently. And it's not just the people that work, the people I encounter, prospects, customers, clients, even patients. It's even the way I look at my neighbor differently, the way I look at my relatives differently. You state in the book that the purpose is not to make you someone who can outwit or trick someone into making a purchase. You genuinely want them to understand how to help others create a result. Um, Start by clarifying the thinking process. You lead people to have them think about the objectives that are the daily objectives that the prospect is likely to be thinking about as a way to enter their world so that your conversation becomes immediately relevant. This is the foundation of what we teach at Game Face and what we talk about in the Sales Game Changer. So thank you for that question, Bill. Let's start by backing up just a bit, admitting that most salespeople are probably trained the wrong way. They're trained in tricks and gimmicks. I train in principles. So if you sell without principle, then you're probably just using hollow and shallow techniques. And those eventually wear out. And they wear thin and they become really the reason why people decide, I don't want to be in sales anymore, or I don't want to engage with salespeople anymore. The number one principle that we espouse is this. It's called result-centered selling. If I'm about my business as a salesperson, focusing on my product, which is very common because that's what typically we're trained in. We call it sales training when we start a sales job, but most of the time our bosses are just giving us product training. This product training is teaching us all the bells and whistles, the sizes, the colors, the dimensions of our product, however beautiful and wonderful it may be. But as a result, when we get out there in the field, when we pick up the phone, when we email someone to try to engage, what are we inclined to do? We're inclined to talk about the product. That's what we know best. That's what we're comfortable with. And as a result, we start to come across like a sleazy, slimy, shady, slick salesperson, the kind that we see in movies that everybody makes fun of. So result-centered selling is just as you said, Bill, rather than focus 
focusing on your product, you consider the daily objectives, the daily outcomes that your prospective customer is looking for, regardless of your product or service, irrespective of what you do or what you represent, you ask yourself, are those objectives achievable using our product or service? If the answer is yes, then that's what you lead with. You lead with their objective and it immediately demonstrates an understanding, a knowledge of the prospect, even though you've never spoken to them before. When they begin to sense that, hey, you get me, what's going through my mind, you know what my challenges are today, then they're more inclined to open up into a conversation, which eventually leads to say. Let's talk about an example. A typical way that a salesperson might approach someone who was responsible either for sales or the overall company, say a CEO in a small business, is they would call up and say, hi, I am John Brown and I represent a sales training company. May I talk with you about sales training today? That is probably an example that illustrates why so many salespeople don't get beyond that first 30 seconds. They'll hear or no, it's a terrible question to ask. Again, it shows no understanding or appreciation of what that person woke up thinking about in order to measure success of that day. CEOs and senior managers don't wake up and say, if only a salesperson would call me today, it would just light up my week. How do you approach it differently? Let me hear the words that you would use for doing a sales training. Perhaps the best example I can use is the first one that I ever came up with when I was selling for a really bad product, a bad organization, not structurally, but we had a product that nobody wanted. That's when I was a young salesperson in Los Angeles selling for the Los Angeles Clippers basketball team. My task was to sell corporate season tickets. For any of your listeners who follow sports, they've probably heard of the LA Lakers and they've heard of the LA Dodgers and all the other great teams in Los Angeles. But back then in the 1990s, when I began selling, no one ever either heard of the LA Clippers or wanted anything to do with the LA Clippers. That was the last thing that they were that was on their mind. Like you said, Bill, nobody woke up saying, boy, I hope this is the day the Clippers are going to call me for season tickets. So my bad approach, Bill, if I can share that with you. Hi, Bill. My name is Rob Cornelis. I'm with the LA Clippers. How are you today? They could just see the cheese coming through my teeth with my big old grin. And right away, of course, that would turn people off. But I would keep going because I'm persistent. That's what I was told to be is persistent. So, hey, Bill, the reason I'm calling is we're going to have a great season next year because all salespeople are hopeful for the future. And we want to get you and your staff on board with some fantastic new season tickets. Of course, the Bill Wrinkles of the world would either hang up or they'd laugh because they thought this was a joke or they would get angry with me like, how'd you get my number? Or your team stinks. I would never be got dead at a Clippers game. I'm a Lakers fan. The list of objections would just roll out, roll off their tongue. So I quickly learned, as enthusiastic as I am, this is not working. I, I was told that 90% of selling is enthusiasm. Whoever came up with that never had to sell an LA Clippers season ticket, Bill, because the more enthusiastic I was, the worse it became. Because it was simulated or, or artificially generated enthusiasm. That's exactly right. So rather than enthusiasm, we work with our clients to build energy behind their sales. It's it's not about faking it till you make it, because if you, if you fake it till you make it, when you make it, you'll still be fake. It's about being genuine. So you become genuine by thinking about the results, the objective they're looking for. If you're still interested, I'll I'll give you now a specific example. Let's go into that because I'm really interested in that distinction between energy and enthusiasm. So energy doesn't have to be bursting through the phone. Energy is a focus. It's an emphasis. 
Yes, it's an intensity, not an intensity that scares people, but an intensity of, I really want to drive for you the results that you're looking for, that are important to your business, to your own team, to your own. And so I might say something like this, and Bill, let's imagine that you're a sales manager in downtown Los Angeles in the early 1990s. I call you up out of the blue and uh, the call goes something like this. You want to role play with me, Bill? Sure. Let's have some fun. Ring. Hello. Hi, is this Bill Ringle? Yes, it is. Bill, I am so glad that I've gotten a hold of you today. I've been looking forward to this conversation now for some time. My name is Rob Cornelis, and I'm with the front office of the LA Clippers basketball team. As you probably have heard, the Clippers are really emphasizing right now ways that we can assist companies who are trying to stand out from their competition. The specific reason I'm calling you, Bill, is we wanted to share with you a specific tool or resource that we could provide your sales team to assist them in closing even more business by the end of the year, but also retaining the customers you've already gained this year. I love that so much more. First of all, I'm already thinking about how that applies to the objectives we have. You're not thinking about basketball. No. Which in my case, Bill, was a terrible product back then. So I can talk about product all day, then I'm just going to invite objections. And those objections lead to rejection. And it turns into my dejection. And if I get enough of this, I get an ejection from my organization because I'm not selling anything. Instead, I focus on the results that you're looking for. Now, how did I know that you were looking for three results that I mentioned in that example? They're not random in that they're universal. Any company, any sales manager is looking for these three things. And these three are among 20 that I could use. Here's the first I said, standing apart from your competition. Then the second thing I talked about was winning over new clients, new customers. You're trying to do that every day. The third thing I mentioned was retaining the customers you've already worked so hard to earn, which is not only a result, but also a complimentary way of saying the result. Because I'm assuming, and I think this is a fair assumption, you work hard every day to retain your customers and clients. So by me acknowledging that, I'm not coming across as a selfish, self-serving salesperson. I'm coming across as a salesperson who's trying to serve you. Now, on your podcast, Game Face Execs, you had Mike Kaiser on, and he talked not about basketball, but he talked about a lesson he learned as a young golf caddy for the golfer Bud Dow. I'd invite you to retell that story, and let's talk about what lessons can be learned from the interactions that occur that we have opportunities all around us to make a favorable impression and how quickly one mistake led to him not being used again. So Mike Kaiser is considered by many in the world to be the number one golf developer of golf courses. And he's a personal friend. He and I have worked on projects together. As you said, in the podcast that we had together when he was my guest, he told the story when he was a young cat in the Buffalo, New York area. He was finally chosen by Bud Dow, who was the champion of that local golf course, to be his caddy. So he thought what a wonderful experience this is going to be. So they're out on the front nine and they finally approach the ninth hole. And Bud says to Mike Kaiser, his young caddy, he says, Mike, okay, you've watched me for eight holes now. What do you think I should hit? Which club should I use to hit on this par three? Of course, Mike didn't really know what to say. So he just suggested a particular club. He said, I don't know, because he was thinking, what would I hit? So he said, I'd recommend the five iron. And Bud Dow looked at him and said, hand me the eight, which for your golfers in the audience, they know there's quite a big difference between your eight club and your five club. So the lesson that Mike tells that he learned from that example, that story is never guess, never guess. Don't try to impose your own belief system, your own value system, your own wants or desires onto your customer or client. Always take time to learn what's best for them. This is why I said earlier, the first thing we should be doing is not asking ourselves, 
how can they use my product, but rather what are the results they're looking for if my product never existed? And then how can my product be shaped and molded to assist them in acquiring that important result? The lesson of not making assumptions goes beyond just assuming and presuming that they have the same values, interests, or beliefs that you do, but also when they're asked, can I get this delivery in within two weeks? If somebody says, I guess so, yeah, without checking, it only sets people up for disappointment. It is just saying, I don't know the answer to that and having the courage to say, I don't know the answer and saying, let me get back to you after I place a call or send a text or check on our system. Isn't that right? It's coming back with that answer after saying, look, I don't know the answer off the top of my head. I totally agree with you, Bill. It could even be, I I think I know the answer, Bill, but I want to double check. I want to verify that what I'm about to say to you is accurate and timely and up to date. So will you give me one hour? Will you give me 24 hours? Let me go to work on my end to verify so that I'm giving you the most accurate information possible. Rob, how did you meet Stephen M. R. Covey? You talk about him in the book. He's very well known because of his family business with the being the son of the author Stephen Covey of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How did you two meet? We actually met through his father. Tragically, a Stephen Covey passed away, I think it was about eight or nine years ago now, through a bicycle accident. But before that accident occurred, I was introduced to Stephen R. Covey. We actually met through his father, Stephen R. Covey. He and I were working at the same time with the same client. It happened to be the University of Utah. He was working with the University Administration. I was working with the Athletic Department. We met. And then through him, I I met his oldest son, Stephen M. R. Covey, who, as you mentioned, is a best-selling author as well. Stephen M. R. Covey talks about the importance of thinking about three things when you build a a sales relationship. Can you describe what they are? Because I know that you've incorporated those things into the sales game changer as well. Yes. The first thing that Stephen M. R. Covey makes very clear is you have to make the sale. Then you also have to build a relationship of trust. The third thing, which I really love and which we dive further into in the book is you have to develop a reputation of trust. It's being consistent and uh, it's not fooling people because one of the things that I think salespeople often fall into as far as a trap is this idea of closing the customer. Everyone talks about how to close, right? But this notion of closing suggests that once the sale is over, once the transaction is completed, that you're moving on to someone else. But interestingly, in the buyer's mind, when they say yes, it's not the end of anything. It's the beginning of everything for them, more specifically, it's the beginning of results. And so you as the salesperson have to take on that same mentality. I'm not closing you. I'm opening up a relationship. And this relationship should be long lasting because if it is, it will lead to years of renewals and referrals. That's how you develop the reputation of trust. I remember in the book, you told a story when you were in Oregon and you were told by a client that you needed to be in New York City. And you looked at the clock and saw that it was still a quarter to five New York time. And you called a well-known hotel whose name we'd all recognize, and you ask the person who answered, hi, I'd like to make a reservation. And something very different from a sale or the establishment of trust took place. Can you walk us through that, please? It's, I think, a humorous story. I think I tell it better in the book, but what has simply happened was, as you said, I called it quarter till five before any registration desk would close. They simply said to me, the person who answers said, you'll have to call back tomorrow and talk to our reservation clerk. I said, well, what time are they in? They said, they're here till five o'clock. I said, well, I'm calling before five o'clock now, and I need to make a reservation now because I'm going to get on an airplane in a few hours hours and I'd like to have a place to stay. We kept going back and forth. It was very frustrating to me. Finally, I said, can I please speak to the manager? The person amazingly said, I am the manager. I said, look, I I need a reservation. I'm calling you. I'm trying to give you my business. And
and you're making this very difficult. Then he insisted on putting me on hold. So then he put me on hold, came back, was annoyed that I was still there and asked me what I wanted. And I said, I'd like to stay in your hotel. Tell me if I'm making the wrong choice to stay in your hotel. Finally, he transferred me to a 1-800 number, a national office, apparently. That person who wasn't the reason for my discontent, but I probably took it out on them a little bit. They asked me, would you like to guarantee your reservation with a credit card? I said, if you can guarantee me better service. And she didn't really find that very amusing, though it was cathartic for me. But the whole lesson I learned from it is that when people are coming to you saying, I want the result you deliver, and we're not ready to deliver that to them, or we make it difficult for them, then we shouldn't be surprised when our business isn't achieving the kind of results we're looking for. I tell you, as I was reading that, I was saying to myself, I've had that experience myself. (laughs) Probably not with the same person, but it's so common. They're just not ready. They're not equipped. They don't train on this. I've been in the same position you are. Look, I am having to work extra hard to give you my money. There's no friction here. I am pushing my money to you. Please accept it and give me the confirmation because you have other things to do. I knew that I I related to that experience very much as I was reading it. It it was very frustrating. And as I've told that hotel and other establishments where doing business has been very difficult, I've said, in the end, you're giving me something very useful because I'm a sales trainer and a sales consultant and you just became fodder for my next book. Now, contrast that with an experience you had when you first got signed up with your trailblazers. When I say your trailblazers, I mean that because you wrote about them with such affection, admiration, you talked about how you looked up to them. And so that when they signed you up to do some in-depth sales training for their sales team. It was just great. It was just so exciting to do that. It was like me working with the USTA. And then the COO at the time, Aaron Hubert, asked you a really interesting question. Can you walk me through that example? Because there's so many lessons that come from it. As you mentioned, Bill, Portland is where I grew up, Portland, Oregon. And like most people who grew up somewhat familiar or interested in sports, that was my hometown team. I followed them religiously. So I had never done business with them until about eight years into my company, even though we were based in Portland at the time. Finally, the stars aligned and they hired my company, Gameface. And then at the end of that meeting, when I was feeling all proud and fulfilled that I'd finally won this new client, my my hometown team, Aaron Hubert asked me those simple words, which every salesperson should also ask. And that is, Rob, have you ever, do you own season tickets with the Portland Trailblazers? And I thought, ooh. Uh, got me on that one. No, Aaron, I, I I don't think we do. She said, well, that's silly. Aren't you just eight miles down the freeway? And aren't you working in the sports industry? Don't you work with two thirds of the NBA teams at that time? So she had a good point And I was more than happy to be her newest customer. Right. In came the sales director and you walked out with season tickets. And what I'd love to illustrate here is what you did as a result, talking to both your family at home, and then your team the next day. How did you follow that up? Because it was an unexpected purchase. It wasn't a trivial purchase. She wasn't asking you to buy tickets for a game. This was, I think I recall, a $16,000 purchase, which wasn't planned. And you learned, you quickly pivoted and used it. So I'd like to hear you describe how you used it. That story that you're referencing, Bill, is for me, one of the most influential examples that I write about in the sales game changer, because it totally turns on its head the idea of, and here's a topic we haven't addressed yet and might throw your listeners for just a bit, the whole idea of what urgency is. So urgency is a concept that most customers cringe when hearing 
because urgency suggests you're trying to hurry and get a sale from me so you can win salesperson of the month or make big commission. And the salespeople sometimes will feel icky and slimy about creating urgency because they just want to give people room and space to make a decision. What I learned in that example, and you're right, it was a pivot. I did not expect to learn it from that purchase, is the following. I acquired my four season tickets with the Blazers 30 days before opening night. Now, in that 30-day period, I went to my team, my staff, I went to my family. I said, look, we have 30 days until the Blazers play, until they open up their 41-game season, 41 home games. I want to make sure none of these games go wasted. I want to make sure that we don't scratch our head at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and say, oh, there's a game tonight. Anybody want to go? And wonder how we're going to get rid of these tickets that we've invested in. So what I did is I helped my staff and my family in advance determine how we were going to use all 41 games, who we were going to either invite or gift the tickets to, what the purpose of that particular person or party was. Ultimately, what's the result our family or our business, our company is going to get from that particular person or party going with or going using our seats. Now, why is this important? As soon as we put together those plans for 41 games long before opening night, we were able to contact those individuals and give them the good news that they were going to be the recipients of our game. And we began to see results from that phone call or from that announcement. The results were Some of our existing clients thanked us and gave us more business. We got new prospects to open up to us and actually engage with us. We were able to reward staff for hard work and great performance, which only motivates them to do it to perform even at a higher level. I was able to thank members of the community that perhaps belong to a nonprofit organization that we admire and appreciate. We want to give them a thank you for their service to our community. And the list of results and recipients goes on and on. So here's the lesson. Results be begin the moment a buyer says yes, not the moment the product arrives at their doors, not the moment the product is met, is delivered and set up in their factory. No, as soon as the buyer says yes, the result of peace of mind, the result of certainty, the result of assurance, the result of I feel like someone else is now assisting me, all of those kinds of results and many begin as soon as they say yes. Therefore, I as a salesperson have an obligation to help my customers customer get to a yes as fast as possible. Because as soon as they get to the yes, results begin and they'll get more for their money. They'll get a bigger bang for their buck. So if I withhold that opportunity by saying to them, oh sure, I'll call you after the first of the year. Sure, I'll talk to you in the spring. Yet we're still going to charge them the same amount of money then. I don't see the, the merit of that. I don't see the advantage of that. I think that's being selfish. So I don't apologize, Bill, for creating urgency. I apologize when I don't create urgency because now you're not getting as much from Microsoft. If you don't help them see that point of view. Correct. This is a game changer for salespeople. And we give various ideas and and techniques in the book on how you can communicate this principle in various ways, regardless of your process. That's always the tactics on top of the principle has to be established. Otherwise, the tactics are just tricks. Well said. Rob, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best Lightning Round? I've been waiting for this. Let's go, Bill. It's game time. So at the beginning of the episode, I asked you about a person 
who influenced you. Now I'm going to ask you, when you were a teenager, Rob, who's somebody, what was a song that you loved? Ooh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for by you 2 I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You want me to sing it? Oh, come on now, Bill. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pain your listeners with that. Everyone knows that U2 song. In fact, they even talk about it in the book. But I, I just, I love that song. It came at a pivotal time in my life. It, it, it actually motivated me to try a little harder at something because I was trying to accomplish a particular goal of a personal nature. I wasn't getting where I wanted to be. And the first time I heard that song, it came out about the time I was graduating from high school. When I heard that, I thought, you know what? I've got to change direction. And it's not a weakness. So anyway, that's my pivotal song. What was it that helped you break the code on leaving voicemail as something that a lot of salespeople will call but never leave a message? You found a way to do it that encourages people to return the call. What is it that broke the code for you? This is rapid fire. I say don't use poetic prose, which means don't make it sound like you leave voicemails every day. Almost act surprised that you have to leave a voicemail. Not put out, but surprised because you're not accustomed to doing it. Also, don't apologize. Don't grovel. Don't say, please call me back. Don't say, I'd really appreciate it. It's not them who are serving you by returning your call. It's you who are serving them if they return your call. So when a salesperson pitches you, they don't know who you are or what you do for work, but we all encounter salespeople as part of our day. When a salesperson pitches you, what are one or two traits that let you know that this person has a high potential in sales by the way that they pitch? They know something about my business without sounding intrusive or invasive. That's a fine line. They also do not start the phone call with, how are you today? Or do you have a minute? Or is this a good time? Because as soon as I hear that, I know I'm talking to an apologetic and probably lacking confidence salesperson. You just don't enjoy that transaction. (laughs) Correct. Yes. I like people that have within 30 seconds, not a pitch. I don't like a pitch because a pitch is an unassessed presentation. I want all of the presentations made to me to be thoroughly assessed through the conversation we're having because of the conversation we're having. But I want them to come in with credibility and I want them to state in 30 seconds or less how this call or this interaction will benefit me, not how it's going to benefit them. What's the best business advice you ever received? Hire the best people you can who cover your blind spots. When's an early time you remember acting on that advice? Probably too late in my business. And that's something that I learned the hard way. But it was probably about 2003, eight years into my company, when I hired uh, someone by the name of Tom Peterson. Tom Peterson was someone that uh, had a great background, very well-educated, Harvard MBA, had been successful in many companies. I thought he wanted to come into my business to basically take it over because I was being too sensitive and too guarded. He instead is someone who had my best interests at heart, and we have remained extremely close friends. Don't turn your hobby into your business. My hobby was wasn't necessarily sports, but I enjoyed sports growing up. And someone told me, if you enjoy sports, don't make it your business because then you'll begrudge it and you won't enjoy it anymore. I'm so glad I didn't take that advice because I've been working with 300 sports organizations for almost 30 years. What would you say is the best $100 or so purchase you've made in the last six months? Oh, probably. Probably Chirp is a roller that because I, I spend a lot of time on my feet and I spend a lot of time traveling. So I'm giving a lot of seminars and workshops and keynote addresses. My back can hurt from those airplane rides and those bad hotel bedrooms and and beds. But a chirp is a nice
nice roller that someone recommended to me. It keeps my back in perfect alignment. It's a great little device. Does somebody need to be extroverted in order to be successful at sales? If not, what would you say are one or two qualities that are essential? I definitely do not believe they have to be extroverted. In fact, studies have shown, and I talk about this in the Sales Game Changer book, studies have shown that introverts are actually, on average, better salespeople. I think it's because they want to so much talk about themselves. They want to talk about the other person. They want to listen to the other person. They're very good at that innately. So I think some of the greatest attributes of sales is that is that genuine interest in another person, which leads to love of the other person. It's no accident that the subtitle of my book is become the salesperson people love. If you are that person, you will in turn love your customers. The, what would you say is the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction. I stop checking my phone as soon as I wake up. And in instead, the what I take time for meditation and personal spiritual. So your book subtitle, as you just mentioned, was how to become the salesperson people love. What are two, two or three practical tips on how to begin doing that as soon as you hear them? First is to find something that you can love about that prospect, about that other individual. It could be their smile, could be their business, could be their business card, their logo, could be their product, could be where they're from. Find something that you can love and then it'll grow from there. The second tip I, I think I, I would suggest is remember that no is not forever. No is for now. So if someone says no to you, that's a temporary response because one thing's constant and that's change. So be ready to go back to them in a month or two or three or six when that no is ready to become a yes. Well, people listening to our conversation today have learned so much. I want to appreciate you for sharing your tips, your wisdom, your advice that help people become sales game changers. You've talked about the importance of making sure that you really listen and research what needs to happen. We've talked again and again about the, how it's fundamental to have principles that undergird your whole approach and you have a philosophy of doing that. You talked about how Johnny Carson inspired you to be a really good listener, learn to win people's trust and develop rapport in a short time frame as he was doing on his shows. You reminded us how the moment that a buyer says yes is when the benefits and gains start to accrue and that a pitch is an unassessed presentation. When you really appreciate are when people actually find out the details, as all of us do, to find out the details so that they're making a relevant offer or presentation to us that engages us and talks about what we want, what we woke up that morning wanting to accomplish to advance our business or personal goals. So Rob Cornelis, author of The Sales Game Changer, How to Become the Salesperson People Love, I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks so much, Bill. Say, Rob, before we say goodbye for now, where could people find out more about you and your work online? They'll simply go to GameFaceInc.com, our website, GameFaceInc.com. They can learn all about our services and the industries in which we... Rob, I know that you've got a lot of material there. We'll also link to your social media and ways to buy the book online. We spoke before the interview and you hinted at the Sales Game Changer Masterclass that's coming up. Could you share a little bit more about it so that if this is of interest, people can take advantage of it, especially now in its early iteration where there are a lot of advantages to gaining these skills. We 
typically, as you bill, for the past almost three decades, have worked exclusively with organizations and companies. Now we're making our content available to individuals through our masterclass. And we're launching it uh, in late November this year. For those who join early, they'll get an introductory price of $1,000. It's a 10-week course. With that 10-week course, you'll also have interaction with me where we can address your own particular challenges or the nuances of your sales process. And we'll also have group coaching sessions. So there's a number of tools available. It's essentially the culmination of 30 years of work working around the world with tens of thousands of sales executives. Rob, I am so excited to be able to share that with our listeners. We're going to link to how to do that on the website. I know that you said that when people send a note from the your expert interview page, you'll also respond back with materials and insights to give them additional benefits and skills from your experience in the sales game changer content. So we'll put that on the website and everyone listening can go to that. I'm very happy to provide free content to your listeners exclusively, Bill. It's 30 individual sales tip videos. I think your listeners will really enjoy these. They're like a sales cup of coffee. They're brief, but I think very effective to start your day. Fabulous. Once again, Rob Cornell, author of The Sales Game Changer, how to become the salesperson people love. Thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks, Bill. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it greatly. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.